You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino. Today is Monday, October 26th. I'm Charlotte Peterson, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. For their support, we'd like to thank Sweetland Garden Mercantile in North San Juan on the Ridge, offering organic compost, tea, and soil, bloom and trim supplies, also household tools. 292-9000, sweetlandgm.com, dig it. Today, following NPR headlines and regional weather, Paul Emery speaks with cartoonist R.L. Crabb about the presidential campaign of None of the Above. Mike Dent, Nevada County's Director of Housing, talks about an affordable housing called Project Home Key that will be presented to the Board of Supervisors tomorrow for consideration. We have the public news service with some California headlines. Closing out today's newscast, we have Jim Hightower with a commentary. At 6.30, we bring you WINGS, the Women's International News Gathering Service, and at 7, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. But first, NPR headlines followed by regional weather. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas is expected to help swear in Amy Coney Barrett tonight at the White House after the Senate vote, which is expected to happen this hour. Senator Paris Tamara Keith reports there's little doubt she'll be confirmed. Republicans have enough votes in the Senate to confirm Barrett, and later President Trump is set to host a celebration at the White House. That's where Justice Clarence Thomas will administer the official constitutional oath to Amy Coney Barrett, a White House official said. The event is set to be held outdoors and comes exactly a month after the coronavirus super spreader event in the Rose Garden, where Trump announced he was planning to nominate Barrett. She also must take a second oath, the judicial oath, but it's not clear when or where that will take place. Tamara Keith, NPR News. The battleground state of Arizona is reporting some of the highest coronavirus infection and death rates during the pandemic so far. From Phoenix, NPR's Kirk Sigler reports the pandemic may be a big influence on voters' minds. Early voting is well underway in Arizona, where 62-year-old Republican Kathleen Wynne says she's had friends who got COVID-19 but thankfully recovered. She thinks President Trump is the best person to manage the economic recovery. I believe this president doesn't get any of the credit that he deserves for a lot of things he's done. Cases in Arizona are starting to tick back up again, and voter Jennifer Dennis blames Republicans for downplaying the disease's severity. Can I just be honest? I don't like Trump and I don't trust him. A retired nurse, Dennis doesn't like what she says is the president's cavalier attitude about the pandemic. Kirk Sigler, NPR News. At a time coronavirus cases are rising in many parts of the nation, President Trump continues to say the country is rounding the turn. Average deaths per day across the U.S. though have risen 10 percent over the past two weeks. That's based on figures tracked by Johns Hopkins University. Confirmed coronavirus infections are up in 47 states with deaths higher in 34. PG&E has shut off power for hundreds of thousands of homes and businesses in Northern California. Member station KQED's Holly J. McDeed reports the blackout is meant to avoid catastrophic wildfires. Extremely dry conditions and strong winds led PG&E to shut off power to as many as one million people to reduce the odds of its equipment sparking wildfires. 
Wind gusts in parts of the state reached nearly 90 miles per hour on Sunday. So far, that weather hasn't caused a major wildfire, and the winds have cooled down today. This is the fifth time this year that PG&E, the nation's largest utility, has cut power. The utility says some of its customers could get their power back as early as tonight. For NPR News, I'm Holly J. McDeed in San Francisco. Tropical storm Zeta has become the latest hurricane in an unusually active season. The U.S. National Hurricane Center says Zeta, with maximum sustained winds of 90, 80 miles an hour, is off the eastern coast of Mexico. You're listening to NPR. There are calls across the Muslim world, from Turkey to Pakistan to Saudi Arabia, to boycott France after President Macron defended its tradition of caricatures. NPR's owner Beardsley reports now a French Muslim group has called on Muslims to defend their country. The president of the French Council of the Muslim Faith told news agency Agence France Presse that promoters of the boycott claim they're defending Islam and French Muslims, but he said anything that denigrates France is counterproductive and sows divisions. Mohammed Musawi said France is a big country and its Muslim citizens are not persecuted. He said Muslims can freely build their mosques and practice their religion. Showing images of the Prophet is taboo in Islam, but Musawi said French law does not oblige one to like satire. He said he supports Macron's position that caricatures cannot be thrown out under pressure from terrorists. Eleanor Beardsley, NPR News, Paris. In the modern-day equivalent of the breadlines of the Great Depression, some food banks are seeing unprecedented demand. For example, in Houston, lines of cars stretching a half a mile or more, with people who've lost their jobs and need groceries. Some days, the Houston Food Bank says it's handing out as much as a million pounds of food. What is the largest U.S. food bank? Officials say there appears to be no end in sight. Houston Food Bank first hit the half a million pound of food distribution mark in early spring. Currently, food bank leaders say they're averaging 800,000 pounds of food a day. Coronavirus worries weighed on Wall Street at the start of the trading week. The Dow plunged 650 points. That's a drop of more than two and a quarter percent. The Nasdaq was down 189 points today. You're listening to NPR News. Now for regional weather. According to the National Weather Service, in the Grass Valley and Nevada City area, tonight will be mostly clear with a low around 44. Tuesday will be sunny with a high near 73 and a low around 45 with mostly clear skies overnight. In Sacramento tonight, skies will be partly cloudy with a low around 47. Tuesday will be sunny with a high near 75 and mostly clear skies overnight with a low around 45. In Truckee tonight, skies will be mostly clear with a low around 17. Tuesday will be sunny with a high near 61 and a low around 23 with mostly clear skies. And in Angels Camp tonight, skies will be partly cloudy with a low around 46. Tuesday will be sunny with a high near 69 and mostly clear skies overnight with a low around 48. And there is a red flag warning in effect. Now through Tuesday, October twenty seventh at five p.m. in most of our listening area. I'm speaking with Nevada County cartoonist R.L. Crab, and、uh, he's been tracking the career and the、uh, campaign of none of the above. And by golly, I thought it's a good time we catch up with with him and and find out what's happening with the campaign of none of the above.、Uh, she's referred to as Nunny in your、uh, in your、uh, cartoons, I do believe. 
Yes, that's true. How many years has she been running for president? Well, the first time that I used her was in uh, 1996 during the uh, Clinton-Dole race. And at that time, I was doing the comic strip Road Skill, the one with the little squirrels that was daily in the union. And uh, I had one of the squirrels pulling a little wagon with uh, a little nun character in it. And uh, and that then after that, uh, the 2000 race, I didn't really get into it. But uh, once again, when things got really wacky in 2003, when we had the recall of Gray Davis and the ascension of Arnold Schwarzenegger, I brought her back then. And at that time, I actually made a figure uh, of uh, none of the above, which uh, she was made out of chicken wire and and plaster of Paris and you uh, know and you know just glue and newspaper and um, my wife Marianne made a little uh, nun's habit for her and I put her in a wagon and we actually were in the parade with the marching presidents that year. Uh, then I put her away in a box in the garage and didn't bring her back out until 2016 because I felt like 2016 was going to be a very pivotal election. And boy, was I right. <laughs> you, you know, none of the above. Um, I'm not sure how um, well that uh, that campaign is going to go this year because people are very passionate uh, on both sides of the presidential campaign. And I think none of the above kind of implies a certain ambivalence. So what is your take on that? Well, it's always been ambivalent because I, I've i always tried to look at things from all sides of the issues, you know, or, you know, every, every possible uh, fluke and, and and just strange occurrence. Uh, usually, it's like uh, in the comic strip, none of the above is kind of wandering through uh, something that Lewis Carroll could have come up with. Uh, you know, uh, just strange-looking characters. Uh, at one point, I had monoliths that uh, that were not talking to each other, and I, uh, you know... Uh, Women were represented in uh, millennials and people who were addicted to their cell phones and uh, and and just you know what was going on in the campaigns. And usually by the end of the uh, by the end of the campaign, I wouldn't really say one way or the other how I was going to vote, just that you should vote. And that you should look at everything, and, and you know, I, I, I'm a big believer in that. Uh, that partisanship has really wrecked this country, and uh, it, it, it's just gotten so awfully bad. Like, you know, I, you know, uh, uh, we were noting that Ruth Bader Ginsburg was confirmed by the Senate uh, by what was it, 97 to three or something like that. So, uh, so yeah, you know, it's, and, and it's, it's not like, you know, it's, it's a bad thing in a way because people have just 
retreated to a corner where they really believe what they're going to believe, you know, whether it's on the right or on the left, and that there's no middle ground, there's no way to compromise, and this country has always survived by compromise. Now it's winning, you know, you have to win it all, you have to have it all, because you cannot work with anybody on the other side of the aisle. It's a pretty sad situation. You know, there was a time when both the Democratic and the Republican parties had both uh, liberal and conservative uh, wings to them, which would yes. which could then work with each other. Doesn't seem to be the case anymore. No, and I, you know, I really don't see uh, even if there's a blue wave that they've been predicting. Uh, you know, I don't see it lasting more than two years before. Uh, People get get upset about it again and, and uh, upset the apple cart. Uh, you know, if you recall, it wasn't too long ago when you had uh, the, the ultra-left, let's just say, let's just call it that, represented by Dennis Kucinich and would actually team up with Ron Paul, the noted libertarian uh, Republican, and actually propose propose uh, legislation together uh, doesn't seem to be likely that that's going to happen now no it doesn't doesn't seem to be uh, happening at all and you know any attempt at at trying to form a third party doesn't seem to be going anywhere I mean you know I look at the greens and I, I don't really care for the greens and the libertarians are too extreme. In, in their, you know, in their views. And, uh, you know, I was kind of interested in uh, the common sense party, which is something that, uh, uh, what was it, uh, Tom Campbell, a former Republican representative, and uh, Quentin Kopp, a, a Democrat from San Francisco, uh, were trying to push here in California. But it doesn't look like it's really gaining much ground. I, I can't see that it's had much effect. So uh, let's get back to the campaign of none of the above. There are two weeks uh, left uh, before the election. Um, where do you see the none of the above, uh, the candidate none of the above, uh, where do you see her going in the last two weeks? Well, I will probably be making a, you know, a stand one way or the other, uh, probably in the next week or so. And, uh, you know, I don't want to give anything away, but, <laughs> but it's, uh, this year, none of the above really isn't much of an option. You're either going to go one way or the other. Has anybody ever written in none of the above, as far as you know? I haven't heard, uh, you know, I see people on my Facebook page that threaten to do it, but I don't know that they actually do or not. Uh, it's not, I, I've never really encouraged people to write in none of the above, but, uh, you know, it, it, I'm sure that some people do. And I've, I've voted for third-party candidates uh, off and on. Uh, I, 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 you know, I've I did vote for Obama the first time around, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I, uh, I just have problems with the hyper partisanship that's going on. 
So none um, of the, none of the above does offer, you know, as a candidate, uh, does offer a little bit of relief from that, uh, so people can't escape into that uh, direction if they choose to do so. Well, you know, uh, I from what I understand, the uh, the one candidate that uh, has, that picks up the most votes outside of the uh, the regular uh, Democrats and Republicans is uh, Mickey Mouse as a write-in candidate. My goodness. Bob, uh, two weeks till election time, do we expect to see uh, some cartoons coming out uh, kind of showing the showing the travels of none of the above in, in this election? Yeah, we got a couple more coming up uh, next week and then the week after. And then uh, depending on how things go, uh, after November the 3rd, nobody knows what's going to happen. So we'll just have to play it by ear. And uh, are you willing to, uh, do you have any speculation as to whether this will be none of the above's last campaign? Uh, I, I always say that, that every time that I do it, that's going to be the last one. But she always seems to come back. So <laughs> I don't want to commit one way or the other. Bob, uh, thanks so much for, for speaking with, with KVMR. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Paul. Yeah. I've been speaking with R.L. Crabb, cartoonist for the Union newspaper. We've been talking about the campaign of none of the above. I'm speaking with Mike Dent, director of housing for Nevada County. And, Mike, we have a pretty exciting project that that has just uh, revealed itself uh, to us out here, and that's Project Home Key. Uh, what is Project Home Key? Oh, hi, hi, Paul, and uh, good afternoon, listeners. Uh, yeah, so Project Home Key was announced back in June by the governor, and um, the actual uh, application process began in July, July 16th, exactly. So what the governor's uh, moved forward, it was $600 million, making that available to any local jurisdictions or housing authorities, tribes, cities, counties. And the Home Key program's goal is to build access to uh, additional affordable housing for those folks living in California. Uh, so the county did identify working with a local motel uh, group that owns most of the motels in town, in town identified several properties that they'd be in, interested in uh, letting go to this program. And we ultimately um, decided on uh, putting an application in for the coaching for motel. It's over on South Auburn Street in Grass Valley. Uh, this is a, a property that's it's a 17 unit motel that's. Uh, a little weary is the word I'm using. A little, you know, it's, it's built in the 50s and uh, has current tenancy that I think half the rooms are are rented on the month, not even by the by the day or the week. So it's an opportunity to uh, have some state funds uh, purchase the property, and then we would utilize it as temporary or transitional housing for uh, a focus on seniors families and veterans uh, and then eventually and the, the, our plan was submitted as a phased approach where we would basically secure the property utilize it as it is which is a motel uh, for temporary housing for people we're working with 
and then about year two, start converting it into affordable housing. Uh, Paul, this this home key program comes with some strings attached, and one of them is if you do take the money, then the property you buy has to be uh, designated affordable for, for 55 years. So you can't just really take it, turn around and sell it, or cut it up into condominiums and sell those off. You have to operate it as a, a basically a public interest property for the good of the community for 55 years. Well, since the county will be will be buying it, it would mm-hmm. be a little suspicious if they turned around and sold it oh, and yeah. made a profit. So that's yes. <laughs> that's not the intent. Uh, but, no, not at all. Uh, well, it's it's, it's a, the win win is we're we're taking a kind of an eyesore in the neighborhood. And eventually, and I'm saying eventually because it will take a couple of years to secure the re- remodeling funding, uh, the per- the big remodeling funding, um, we will be converting it into a, a living permanent living space for families and seniors and veterans. So what is the timeline uh, for this? Yeah, so our application uh, timeline is we have to... Uh, We'll be taking this to the board on Tuesday to, for their consideration of supporting the purchase. Uh, ultimately, the board does decide whether this moves forward or not. Um, and and they have been uh, alerted to the fact that we were looking at this um, as, a, as an opportunity to expand affordable housing in Nevada County. That is a top priority with our board of supervisors. And one of my uh, primary goals in my job is to work towards expanding and uh, in supporting our, uh, not just homeless people, but we're talking about poverty, people that, you know, uh, a family of four, you know, would qualify for these apartments, you know, if they if they were making about $43,000 a year, you know, that that sounds doesn't sound like a lot of money, but that is for a lot of people. And so. Um, so, Mike, this is going to start out. Um, uh, it's going to it's going to continue as more or less emergency housing, and then mm-hmm. be converted into more permanent housing. Is that correct? Correct. And also, uh, as part of the funding, is um, uh, several hundred thousand dollars in immediate remodeling because the state because the state requires uh, additional uh, ADA housing units or living space. Uh, the motel only has one ADA compliant room. And so we'll be doing some immediate remodeling on a couple units to bring them up to current accessibility regulations. And then um, it, the funding also includes uh, two years of operating expenses. Uh, our, our partner we're moving uh, forward with this for the operations is what used to be the Nevada County Housing uh, Authority, but now it's, that was absorbed by a- AMI Housing, AMI Housing. Uh, they're our partner that operates many of our leased uh, housing units for permanent supportive housing. They are also a partner with Placer County, who uh, has a home key project similar to ours up in Kings Beach. So Amy Housing will be operating this 24-7 support uh, for the tenants or the residents eventually of this development. Uh, Mike, uh, what other affordable housing projects uh, is Nevada County currently working on? Well, we're kind of busy with that. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we have several things going on right now. Uh, there's the Lofts project up in Truckee. Uh, the, the county it was not financially invested in it, but it is with one of our close partners, the Regional Housing Authority. That's under construction and will be done in April. Uh, also in Penn Valley is Lone Oak Apartments. 
that is a 30 unit uh, senior affordable housing project that's also currently under construction along uh, a partner with us is uh, is the regional housing authority and they're looking for a march or also an april completion date uh, i think they're they're they've almost have that building shelled out and ready for winter um, we also have Brunswick Commons, which we've spoken about previously, Paul. Uh, that's, uh, uh, believe the, the, uh, the civil plans have, have been approved or are almost approved by the city of Grass Valley and the developers are still hoping to get some dirt work in before winter comes. Uh, they're projecting about a year from now, it'll be ready. So, you know, in the, in the winter of, of 2021, 2022, uh, about 12 months from now, that'll be ready. So, Mike, this is going in front of the Board of Supervisors on Tuesday for, I guess, final approval. Is that correct? Yes. The, the board has to consider several things. Uh, do they want to accept the $2.8 million that the, the state has allocated towards this project? Do, does the board want to um, make a purchase of a motel uh, for this purpose? And also, if that's all um, go, going to happen, we would need to modify our contract with AMI Housing, an existing contract, but amend it to include this new activity, which would be remodeling a couple of the ADA rooms immediately, but then also operating it uh, for its intended purpose, pursuant to Project Home Key regulations for the next two years. Well, Mike, it sounds like a win-win situation for everyone. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to, the neighborhood will I think the neighborhood will be better. Uh, there, are, there is a high call for service currently at the Cochin Four uh, with police. I have reached out to you know all the city officials there, including the chief, um, and we're in conversation about how we can improve the neighborhood uh, and make this a um, a good thing for all of our neighbors on the South Auburn Street corridor. Well, Mike, uh, thanks for speaking with KVMR, and we'll keep uh, mm-hmm. we'll keep in touch about this project and any other project that might be coming down the road. Thanks, Paul. You bet. A new book calls on states to restructure higher education and worker training to better prepare workers battered by COVID to compete alongside robots and computers powered by artificial intelligence. The book, entitled Human Work in the Age of Smart Machines, argues that training should be built on uniquely human traits, such as flexibility and empathy. Author Jamie Marisotis, CEO of the Lumina Foundation, says the COVID lockdowns have forced people to migrate both work and school online, which offers a chance to reinvent the system. I don't think the old normal is what we want to go back to. We want a new normal because what we know is that people need new skills. The book posits that soft skills like critical thinking, self-discipline, and the ability to work in teams are crucial to a worker's success now more than ever. Sujin Jez, director of the nonprofit policy research group California Competes, says colleges and companies need to offer more paid internships so lower-income people can afford to take part. And some of that is about work-based learning and apprenticeships and creating that close connection between the practical on-the-job skills and the application of learning. Michael Mancini runs the Bridge to Recovery program, a huge new initiative to connect Bay Area workers with training and jobs, sponsored by Santa Clara County and facilitated by Catholic Charities. 
We have to do more with less during this time. So we have to take the resources that are in the system and use them more effectively to get our most disadvantaged populations back to work. The book recommends large investments in community college programs that offer associate's degrees and short-term credentials so workers in industries gutted during the lockdown, like retail and hospitality, can retrain for new careers. Support for this reporting was provided by the Lumina Foundation. For Public News Service, I'm Suzanne Potter. California has lost more jobs to offshoring than any other state during the first three years of the Trump administration, according to a new report. Unemployment data shows that from 2017 to 2019, more than 26,000 Californians lost their jobs to offshoring or displacement from imports, a 123 percent increase over the three years before that. Steve Smith with the California Labor Federation says people are really suffering. Each one of these California jobs actually represents a real person, a real family struggling to make ends meet. And that struggle has only become all the more difficult given the pandemic. Smith says this means those workers spend less money in the community, tax revenues go down, and inequality gets worse because people of color are hit hardest. The Trump administration says its policies are designed to lower the trade deficit. Will Wilchko with the California Trade Justice Coalition says the administration's policies actually incentivized companies to move production overseas because the 2017 Republican tax bill taxes products made offshore at a much lower rate. The federal government needs to really get serious about putting the interests of working families at the center of trade negotiations. You know, these trade policies were supposed to put America first, but they actually continued putting corporations first. Wilsko complains that the U.S.-China trade deal signed in January failed to address abysmal labor rights, forced labor, and weak environmental standards in China. You know, the things that the U.S. trade representative cared most about was about protecting intellectual property and stopping technology transfer, which are items that large corporations demanded in order to feel uh, even more secure moving their production to China. Advocates want to see wages lifted here at home and abroad with strong enforcement of internationally recognized labor standards. For Public News Service, I'm Suzanne Potter. Closing out today's newscast, we have Jim Hightower with a commentary. The holy mantra of health professionals was coined about 2,500 years ago by the Greek physician Hippocrates. Do no harm. Of course, that was before corporate health care took charge and asserted a new guiding ethic, jack up profits. Putting this in practice, America's largest and richest hospital chains rushed to the front of the COVID-19 bailout line this spring to pull $15 billion from the government's emergency fund. They pocketed the taxpayers' money despite sitting on tens of billions of dollars of their own cash reserves. But hold your nose, for it gets much stinkier. The bailout was intended to keep hospital workers on the job, yet the wealthiest chains have hit nurses, janitors, and other crucial frontline staffers with layoffs, pay cuts, and deadly shortages of protective gear. For example, HCA, the $36 billion a year behemoth that's wallowing in profits, snatched a billion-dollar taxpayer bailout for itself, then demanded hospital staffers accept wage freezes, elimination of company pension payments, and other cuts or have thousands of their jobs eliminated. However, in a public show of compassion, HCA's chief executive, Samuel Hazen, donated two months of his $1.4 million salary to an employee support fund. How magnanimous! Uh, no. His generosity is a deception, not a sacrifice. 
The trick is that a CEO's salary is a minuscule part of total pay. Hazen's annual bonus, stock payouts, and other compensation will raise his actual pay to $26 million this year. So his donation is less than 1% of his pay, and almost certainly he will write that off his income taxes. So we taxpayers underwrite his fat take-home and also subsidize his face-saving philanthropic gimmick. This is Jim Hightower saying, what we have here is a raging virus of executive sweet greed doing deeper damage to our society than COVID-19 ever could. What do the corporate powers from Wall Street to Walmart have in common? They hate the Hightower Lowdown. You can see why at www.hightowerlowdown.org. That's our newscast for this evening. KVMR's Evening News airs Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. and is produced by Emory Audio Productions. If you've heard something on this newscast you'd like to hear again, you can go to kvmr.org where you can listen on demand. Coming up next, we bring you Wings, the Women's International News Gathering Service, and at 7, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. For Emory Audio Productions, I'm Charlotte Peterson, wishing you a fabulous evening.